G'day and welcome to I Was a Teenage Prize Pig with me, John Vertigan. Jonathan Vertigan from Glen Waverley is on the line. Jonathan Vertigan from Glen Waverley. Jonathan Vertigan of Glen Waverley. You got 50 bucks, John. Jonathan Vertigan, Jonathan Vertigan. Jonathan Vertigan. G'day, John. Here I was a teenage prize pig, baby. Here I was a teenage prize pig, baby. Hopefully you've had the chance to have a listen to some earlier episodes of the podcast. As a teenage boy, I knew I wanted to get into the radio industry and I found a hobby. It was sitting in my bedroom, ringing up radio stations and trying to get on the air. Mostly to win prizes, but for me it was more about the excitement of being on the air with the announcers that were doing what I wanted to be doing for a career. That buzz of hearing the voice of the announcer that usually speaks on the radio talking to me on the phone was like a drug for me. There was even one time that I did a Cookie Monster impersonation and got to speak with the legendary Peter Hitchener on air at 3AK. Here it is. Hello, Cookie Monster from Sesame Street Studios in the US. Hello! (laughs) (laughs) Mr Peter Hitchener, may I introduce you to the Cookie Monster? Well, hello there, good evening. Good evening, Peter, do you... Do you like cookies? <laughs> <laughs> well, just occasionally, yes. I, I guess I can be tempted every once in a while. Well, you're a good bloke then. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, from around the age of 14 right through to when I was 18 and got my first job in radio, that was a good four-year period of, of doing that sort of stuff. Throughout this podcast series, I've tracked down various personalities that I did harass back in the day to apologise to them for being a teenage prize pig. But there's one fella I think I I really need to apologise to. My dad, John Vertigan Sr., spent 53 years in the radio industry and during this four-year period that I was actively seeking out radio stations and winning prizes... He was Victoria's Premier Racing and Sports Coordinator at 3UZ slash Sport 927. So I can only imagine that having a teenage son all over Melbourne radio here and there winning prizes and pestering belligerently uh, could have been a touch embarrassing for him. So here he is on the final episode of Season 1 of I Was a Teenage Prize Big, my dad, John Vertigan. Hello. G'day, son. How are you? Well... I'm sorry for doing that to you uh, back in the day. Was it embarrassing for you? Not at all. Not at all. In fact, uh, I was quite pleased because uh, you were showing signs of uh, taking on radio head on uh, and uh, perhaps when you got a little older to make a career out of it. Was I wrong? No, you weren't wrong. I grew up with radio in the blood, thanks to you. And uh, don't worry, you and were... your mum and and mum, of course. She you... was the receptionist at Three UZ when I met her. You you were complicit in my prize winning. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, I played this when I was speaking with Nigel Ross from Three Double T a couple of episodes ago. Who had the sixties hits Sheila, Dizzy, and Sweet Pea? Who had the 60s hits? Dizzy, Sweet Pea and Sheila. Tommy Rowe. Uh, Tommy Rowe. That's right. Fantastic. <laughs> who, who helped you out there? Oh, my dad gave me a little bit of help. <laughs> there you are. You are the sports coordinator on 3UZ, but you're helping me win 50 bucks on 3TT. Well, I was a uh, what they call in those days a DJ or a disc jockey, 
now you can call them anything really uh, as long as they play music and keep up to date everything's fine but uh, no i um i being a, a music man originally i i remember all the hits and that yeah when you're through um sweet pea and that sort of stuff you know, I, I thought oh no tommy rowe <laughs> one of the worst record makers i've ever heard uh, it, it was so corny. Well, it helped me win 50 bucks, so thank you very much for that, uh, 30 plus Well, it's a good track. hat to come out of it. <laughs> <laughs> now, the whole idea of, of this podcast, Dad, and I know you've been listening to previous episodes, we reminisce with audio from the era, which will do that, but I'd like to go back a bit further with you. Before I was born in the 60s, you were a, a DJ on 3UZ. It was Melbourne's number one station, and you worked with such legends as Alan Lap Lap Lappin and Don Lunn. And when the Beatles came to town in 1964, you were right on the spot. Now, John Vertigan, I think that you should have the Beatlecade inside just about now. If you don't, you will in the next two or three seconds. Would you like to take it from there? Yes, Les, this very instant, the uh, Beatlecade has come into sight, or the front car anyway, the police car. We can hear the loudspeaker going, warning the crowd to get right back to make way for the Beatlecade. Now the fans are getting very, very excited indeed. Police cars, I've never seen so many in all my life. This is fantastic. Fans are running. And there are the boys, the official car, the official Beatles car, going ever so quickly. You had to be quick to see the Beatles, believe you me. Roll over, Melbourne. The Beatles are here. How glad are you that you have that audio that you've got something to uh, to, to play and, and reminisce about I think you must have showed me the importance very early on of uh, archival of audio because once it's gone to air it's gone and unless you track it down and keep it um, you're never going to hear it again but for something as historically significant of that you must be so happy that you you kept it well yes uh, I am very happy but I kept it as an historical piece of uh, uh, audio, but uh, I sounded so Mickey Mouse there. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the day. That was. I that know was... it was, yeah. But uh, uh, having given the opportunity in this day and age, I would slow down a bit. Uh, my voice would not be so Mickey Mouse, uh, <laughs> and uh, I would feel a lot happier about it. But uh, no, no, you're right though. I mean, forgetting all that, carry on. Um, it, it was good. I know many people in radio that wish that they had kept audio from earlier in their career or before they got in. And uh, obviously that's that's what I did with when I was ringing up the radio stations and winning prizes and it allowed this uh, this podcast to happen, I suppose. Well, mate, there are also cars that I owned over the years that if I'd hung on to them <laughs> and houses, uh, <laughs> I'd be worth an absolute fortune. <laughs> but you don't do it. But uh, when it comes to your career, I, I think it's probably... I've always kept scrapbooks. Uh, so I've got a complete written history of my career and uh, an audio history as well with sound checks, um, you know, of uh, various shifts that I've done. And uh, unfortunately, going back to my very early days, and this is in the mid-50s when I first started in radio at 3UL in Warrigal, although I started at 3GL, but I wasn't all that long there before moving to Warrigal and uh, all sorts of things happened there very early in your career and uh, you know it would be nice to have a record of it an audio record of it but then again upon thinking maybe not <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you've kept this one let's go to 1974 you were still at UZ 
I was born at eight minutes past two on one morning in March 1974, and you phoned in the mid-dawn program to let Melbourne know. 17 past five, good morning. Good morning, Alan. I know that voice. Do you? John Vertigan. Yes. How are you, John? Oh, very tired, Al. What's happened now? Give us the news. Uh, eight minutes past two this morning. What was it? A boy. Well, congratulations. Thank you very much. Isn't that marvellous news? Jonathan Scott, his name is. Jonathan Scott. Yeah, seven pounds, 14 ounces. And how's the missus? Oh, she's very well. That's good. very tired, needless to say, but, uh, you know, at least she's sleeping now. I'm not. This would be the, the most famous baby in Melbourne. <laughs> it's been getting a lot of publicity, I must admit. Jonathan what was it, John? Scott. Scott. Yeah. Uh, Max Barringer called his boy Scott, too. Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons why we, uh, you know, couldn't sort of follow on. No. <laughs> you were going to call it Scott Jonathan, weren't you? Uh, well, no, not exactly, but we had uh, Scott in mind, and we, we thought we'd relegate that to second name, you know. Well, but, John, on behalf of all the ratbags who listen to this program, and the ratbag who does it, congratulations. Good on you, John. All right. John Scott, eh? Well, Jonathan Scott. He sounds like a nice little... Thing. No, no one will call him Jonathan, John. No, I know. I suppose you'll get everything but. Yeah. <laughs> I'll call him Bluey or something. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's a great relief all round, I can tell you. I bet it is, John. Oh, well, look, I, I might try and snatch an hour. I'm sorry I can't listen to much more of your program because I feel I, I, I should, you know, get an hour or maybe two if possible. I reckon you're better. Yeah, because I've got to start at 12. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, John. Okay, Al. It's good to hear from you and uh, all our love to Jonathan Scott. Thank you very much. What a great radio man apologising to the mid-dawn announcer because you couldn't listen to much more of his program because not only had you become a father for the, well, for the fourth time, but uh, you had to be on air at midday that day, so you needed to get some sleep. <laughs> exactly. Uh, actually, that was uh, not mid-dawn. That was uh, early breakfast with Alan Lappin. Oh, right. That was Laplap. And I liked the way he said, and what was it? What was it? Yeah, well, in, it was... In other it, words, you were an object. You weren't a human being at all. It was a human being, Lap Lap. <laughs> uh, good memories. Tell me about 3UZ in the 70s. It was it's real, uh, the 60s and 70s, the heyday. Uh, who else was at the station? Uh, Bert Newton joined the greater 3UZ and did mornings. And uh, Don Lane was there also. So it was really... Uh, Mm. A, a very good promotion for Channel 9. The both of them dearly departed now and um, you got me involved in the Bert Newton show. Have a listen to this. I totally push the Walton's Edge. Great jingle still, isn't it? 21 and a half minutes past 9 o'clock on the Greater 3UZ. Hey, we have discovered a new announcing sensation in Melbourne. Let me play something for you. For when I, when I just uh, find the right one? Yep, I've got the right thing to play for you. And in a few moments' time, you'll understand what I'm all about. Have a listen to this. And now, here's Patty's Wheel. Well, no prizes. You know who that is. That's, that's John Vertigan. But do you know who this is? Isn't he clever, Matthew? Isn't he advanced for his age? Would you like to hear it again? It's my pleasure to... No, I'm only kidding you. Of course, it's not Matthew. I mean, he... Well, he, he does speak, but he doesn't read all that well. 
But that is an actual fact. John Vertigan's, I think, three-and-a-half-year-old son. And uh, John brought it in for me. Evidently, he's, he's listened to Dad with, uh, with Jill at home. And he's emulated Dad. I think it's absolutely beautiful. Well, he is going to be our brand-new announcer for The Wheel. This is, this is our new discovery. And I wonder if he's listening this morning. Here's how you sound. And now... <laughs> Good on you, Jonathan. Congratulations. He's following in Dad's footsteps. I can just just see him sitting here doing sports call, uh, not well, what you, uh, sports scoreboard in uh, in the years to come. It's birthday time at Children's Palace, <laughs> and yet you would uh, often jump on the air with Bert because you would be on the air after midday, so you would have a a bit of to, to and fro with the great man. Well, also I'd come in at uh, after the ten o'clock or ten a.m. news and uh, do the scratchings for the day. That's uh, in the in the old days when they were not published in the, in the paper, or uh, you couldn't go online and get them, or ring up and get them. But uh, we did them on the radio, and it rated very well. But uh, I recall well uh, shortly after that when we moved to Sydney, mm. and that was back in uh, the late seventies. Um, you were then not just three and a half. I mean, you were five, six, around that age. And I would bring a recorder home from 2UE or 2WS and rehearse you. Uh, I'd be provided with scripts, of course, from the copy department of those both, uh, both those stations. And uh, they uh, required a young voice, uh, a young kid, and you were it. I had no hope, did I? I had no hope of avoiding the radio industry with, the, with this childhood that you, you brought me up in. None at all, none at all. <laughs> and I used to run through and uh, uh, you'd read the script and uh, I'd say, well, no, that's a bit flat, you know. Put a bit of expression into it, son. Hi, Dad. Yeah? What do you want for Father's Day? Oh, how about a big kiss? Oh, dear, kids don't kiss their fathers. That's <laughs> Okay, Ty. How about a cruise of the South Pacific aboard P&O's Tea Princess? Okay, Dad, see you later. What was all that about? Oh, just kidding, Tiger, about my father's day present. You mean that business of the South Pacific cruise? <laughs> he must have heard about Walton's Father's Day competition. You mean he's serious? Over $7,500 worth of prizes in Walton's Father's Day competition, including a South Pacific cruise for two aboard P&O's Sea Princess. Prize winners will be announced daily on 2UE with the grand prize winner of the P&O cruise announced on Father's Day. Remember, Father's Day is on Walton's. This Sunday is Father's Day, and you can hear famous people talking about their fathers, John Ingalls. 90% of what he did for me was um, the fact that he didn't push me into music, even though he's a very fine musician himself. He's, good. he's a very fine piano player. Katrina Lee. I had a fairly large father, and I always seemed to buy him clothes, and everything was obviously always too tight for him. So that's, you know, that's one of my memories of, of Father's Day. And lots of others. All day Sunday on your father's station, 2WS. I don't remember any payment arriving, though, for services <laughs> rendered. That's all right. That, uh, that audio earlier that uh, when um, I identified the Tommy Rose song that you clearly whispered to me, I don't think you saw any of the $50 note that uh, arrived from that either. So we're square. Are we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. No, they were great days. Fond memories of... Uh, Having you record those commercials, it was uh, it was good, uh, very satisfying. After three years in Sydney, 
It was back to Melbourne, the lure back south to 1026-3DB, uh, where you remained uh, from 1982 to, I believe, around 1988? Yes, it was. Um, uh, they decided to uh, give up racing because DB had become the racing station, Yeah, albeit briefly. And then uh, Bert arrived as manager, uh, Bert Newton, yeah. and... Uh, decided that uh, they'd try to continue the racing, but uh, it didn't work out. It didn't work out, and it ultimately went back to 3UZ, which is where it belonged. It and was always the racing station, really. And you ended up back at 3UZ, which then turned into Sport 927. You are widely regarded as the best sports-slash-racing coordinator this country has ever seen, unlikely to see... Uh, again, tell me about a Saturday afternoon on the air in Melbourne at 3UZ. Okay. Um, it was uh, always a challenge but always fun. I, I love doing it. For one uh, thing, uh, when you're a music disc jockey or presenter, you've got to do a lot of preparation, uh, as you do for your breakfast program on 3MP. Um, but... Uh, when I was a racing coordinator, I, I, what could you prepare? Because uh, you had to be mentally prepared for anything that might happen. But apart from that, you couldn't sit there and say, well, now I'm going to play this record and, and then I'm going to say this and a written hmm. and lived and all this sort of stuff. No, you flew by the seat of your pants because that was the very nature of uh, that style of broadcasting. In other words, racing... I wasn't terribly interested in racing or horses, mm. but the immediacy, the urgency of getting information to the punters was so foremost in my mind that uh, it became so important and uh, I loved it. I enjoyed it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. I guess you would be too busy to have a bet because on a, a Saturday afternoon when you've got 10 race meetings or more that you have to cross to, uh, to be on the phone to because it would have been on the on the phone to uh, your your bookie at the at the time you wouldn't have had time for that because everything was just so frantic you would have tell me about your headphones you would have air program in your right ear and then you would be flicking around the OB lines to the next race in your left yes I'd always be one venue ahead so if I'd uh, cross to uh, Bert Bryant at Caulfield and the next race due would be 10 minutes later in Sydney I would already have Sydney in my left he uh, headphone, so preparing to cr make a cross then. And as soon as crossing to Sydney, I would then uh, line up uh, into my left headphone the very next race course that was due to have a race run. It flabbergasts me just hearing about it, let alone... I, I do remember coming in and watching you on a Saturday afternoon and it was just... it was amazing to watch you at your craft. I, I know everyone in the industry says the same thing. Just going back, you said that um, uh, before the headphone bit that I uh, was not a better. I, mm. I didn't have time to bet. Quite frankly, I didn't have the interest in horses or horse racing or betting or punting or gambling. You would have got a lot of tips, though. Surely uh, you were you were hearing... Oh, a, I've got a... so many tips that I uh, was sensible enough not to follow them up. <laughs> most of them are still running. But yes. uh, I, I, I really thank my parents for this because uh, they were rather strict uh, uh, religious people, uh, not over such, but mm. uh, 
uh, they taught me that gambling was evil and drinking was evil. Well, unfortunately, uh, the drinking part, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I still enjoy a drink, yeah. in other words, but I don't gamble. I, I, I just don't find any uh, reason for it, you know. But wish- a lot of people do, and I appreciate that. And without them... I wouldn't have had. You wouldn't have had a job. Yeah, that's 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 very very true. Here is a piece of audio that was put together for your final shift on Sport Nine Two Seven in two thousand and eight, and it it shows what you how many race courses you would cross to, and this is why the time to say goodbye is underneath because you were saying goodbye after 53 years. Okay, repeating a delay under the Gold Coast, no ambulance on track as yet. Numbers official, Adelaide, come back to that lofty, they're all in at Cessnock for race one. Three out at Mooney Valley and at Kendall Grange across the line. 22 minutes past three. Here we go, they're race Hamworth, Geelong, Toowoomba, Hawkesbury, the Gold Coast, Mertoa, Cheltenham, Townsville, Wangaratta, Yarra Valley, Albion Park, Devonport, Gawler, Ipswich, Horsham, Angle, Newcastle, Kemper Grange, Belmont, Port Augusta, the Sydney now are having trouble getting some of these in. Eight, Ma Wally, no, I'm a Wally. And as the countdown to the 2003 Tui's new Melbourne Cup continues, come back to that because they're racing in New Zealand. After 53 years in the business, now taking his place behind the microphone for the final time, Sport 927 proudly welcomes the legend that is John Vertican. How, how did you feel coming on for the final time with that intro and that music? Well, of course, that was at the start of the shift, at the end of the shift. I was crossing to a trot race and then a greyhound race and then a gallop race and then another greyhound race and it was just bang, bang, bang. I didn't even have time to say goodbye. (laughs) So it was very much an anticlimax, I can tell you. Very much so. Uh, Of course, there's that famous story about uh, when you were, uh, it was a Kilmore Trots meeting that was on air uh, in the afternoon, the same day that Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. Uh Aha. Yes, uh, we we pinched the audio off the TV coverage. Well, naturally, how else were we going to get it? And uh, broadcast to our radio listeners uh, what was happening on the moon. Uh, it was such an occasion. But also, uh, on that same day, we were covering the trots. So I think they were at Kilmore. Anyway, it sounded a little bit like this. Uh, we'll have to leave the moon there because they've just jumped at Kilmore. <laughs> And then they, at the end of the race, I'd say, well, we'll check toe dividend shortly. Meantime, it's back to the moon. Back to you, Neil. <laughs> How is it up there? <laughs> oh, that is oh, so dear. good. So good. Good memories. Yeah. But also I um, was there the day that um, uh, equine flu took place. Uh, it was Sport 927. Mm. And uh, the equine flu started in Victoria. They cancelled two meetings. Mm. And then... It was weird because it started to unfold right around Australia, uh, but uh, race meetings were being cancelled yeah. and jettisoned, and uh, we ended up having to play wall-to-wall music. <laughs> there were no races to cross to. <laughs> no races at all. And uh, <laughs> the, I think The Age wrote an article about it, which was quite funny. I was trying to locate it earlier, but I can't find it. But anyway, it's here somewhere. You... You, you'll see it eventually. And uh, it was eerie. 
uh, and I was uh, sort of dragging on my previous experience as a <laughs> DJ yeah. and, um, you know, was introducing music. And <laughs> the uh, one of the guys had to come in and, and program music for me. Tell us about the time, just before we let you go, you were locked in the loo one time during the middle of a busy sports shift. Yes, and... Um, uh, it was number one, not number two. Oh, right. so Thank you for that. It could have been worse. Was it what the station was number one, number not number two? Or no. no, no, no. I think I knew what you meant. Yeah, yeah I'm sure you do. That's <laughs> very funny, though. I like it. You weren't giving birth to the station floater. <laughs> oh, dear, there would be a time I'd smack you around the head for that. <laughs> I think it's very funny. Anyway... Um, I washed my hands and there was a speaker in the toilet, as there often is in radio stations, to yes. feed the air program through so you know what's happening. And uh, I went to grab the door after washing and drying my hands and uh, the handle on the inside of the door of the toilet came off. <laughs> and uh, I thought, how am I, hell am I going to get out of here? And I, I could hear the speaker going, it was Bert Bryant. Fortunately, he was calling a uh, uh, a jumps race mm a hurdle or a steeple or something, and so it went a lot longer than the others. And I had just enough time when somebody rescued me and uh, opened the other side of the... So they heard you banging, did they? Yeah, yeah, I was screaming and oh. yelling because the sporting control department was only next door. So they heard me right. and came and rescued me, and I got back to the studio just in the nick of time as Bert Bryan saying, now back to the studio. So the, the listener did not know any different? Not until they were told... Uh, in uh, some fashion uh, similar to this. Down the track. Uh, this podcast. But, uh, yeah. Oh, the feeling I could uh, sympathise, uh, empathise with the feeling in your stomach, it would have just dropped and um, it would have been a horrible feeling to think, oh, what, what's going to go on here? Well, exactly, because uh, not only would Bert Bryant have crossed back to the studio, but we wouldn't have a, operated the switch to cut him off. Yeah. And he could have said anything, as he was liable to do. And in those days, you know, I had to be very careful what went on air oh. as regards language or or anything like that. Absolutely. You know. Who was the best race caller to work with? Bill Collins. The accurate one. The accurate one, but not only the accurate one, but uh, well, that's not the only reason I enjoyed working with him. But he was uh, so considerate to his race coordinators. I remember when I was in Sydney working at 2UE and doing the race coordination there on a Saturday afternoon and we took Bill Collins from DB, that mm. was the feed, and uh, Bill would uh, say, OK, Relays, the fanfare has sounded, probably another 30 seconds. Well, because uh, you wouldn't have vision, would you? You wouldn't be able to look no, at a monitor. You would purely no, no Sky Channel. You'd no be Sky Channel relying on Bill's description. Exactly. And he was saying, OK, Relays, another 10 seconds, I think. And uh, he sort of guided you in. It was like a, uh, air traffic control. You know? <laughs> but How... he was very considerate. He was a very talented man. He was a song and dance man. He appeared on television in the uh, Sunny Side Up, a program on uh, Channel 7 in those days. And uh, he was such a talented man. Not to decry uh, or not to detract from uh, Bert Bryant, mm. who had his own talent. His humour was evident in his race calls and he was very popular. I remember when people were listening to Bert Bryant and they'd get the result of a, a very tight uh, finish, 
so it was a photo, they'd switch across to DB to Bill Collins to see what he thought. Oh, really? One. Oh, yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> Bill was known, as you said earlier, yeah, the, the accurate, accurate one. one. How yeah. that? And, of course, uh, Brian Martin you worked with as well. I worked with Brian. I worked with uh, John Russell. John's still with us. Uh, Brian's still with us. Um yeah, a few callers uh, over the years at uh, at UZ and BB, and uh, you lose track of uh, some of the names because uh, some have gone, and some have moved on, some have given up the, their business, and uh, and Greg but, Miles uh, later in, in your career. Oh, well. Greg yeah. Miles! Hey, what a what, yeah, lovely bloke, oh, and yeah. uh, what a great caller! Oh, excellent. Then, of course, is the new bloke Matt Hill. I mean, he's taking on uh, uh, the mantle of all the. Race callers have preceded him. He he's excellent. Yeah, he does a great job. Does a great mm. any race caller, you know that in the last couple of years I've entertained myself really. <laughs> I don't have entertained anybody else with fake race calls. But that is yeah, that's yeah, reading a script. I suggest that you don't have to learn the colours. Uh, you don't have to remember uh, the numbers exactly. or the colours or the exactly. jockeys or the horses. I you, don't, I honestly don't know. I don't know how they do it. Hey, mate, I don't know how you do it because that's very clever what you do. No, it's not. It's it's writing oh, a script no, and reading no, it, really. But thank you. That's I'm, very I'm, nice. I'm very waiting nice breathlessly for the next one. Dad, it has been an absolute delight to catch up with you. I know we, we catch up a couple of times a week, but not like this. We don't talk radio a heap, but to have gone through your career has been um, very fulfilling for me. So thank you for that. Mate, it's been a pleasure. I only wish we had more time because I could tell you about ball broadcasts. Ball broadcasts? It took place in the 50s at 3UL in Warrigal. Oh, da- dances. That'll do for another time. Yes, yes. we'll save yes. that. Okay, there, there's a tease. Yes. Next next podcast, we might call it Balls and All or something. I don't, I don't know. Well, that might already be taken. Oh, no, I'll probably balls it up anyway. <laughs> Very nice. Thanks for being on I Was a Teenage Prize Pig and putting up with me when I was a teenage boy. No problem. No problem at all. Either the podcast or the memories. Well, that's it. Season one of I Was a Teenage Prize Pig. Did you like it? Please give it a good rating if you did. And you never know, there might even be a season two. I've got heaps of tapes that I haven't listened to. I'd hate to think what's on some of them. That might be a project for the Christmas holidays. Please reach out to me and let me know your thoughts. Maybe you were a teenage prize pig. Perhaps you've got some audio that you'd like to share. Uh, Reach out to me on Instagram at John Vertigan. Thank you to all of my guests who joined me on the podcast. Thank you to my guest vocalist on the theme, the wonderful Adam Thompson. And speaking of wonderful, a massive thank you to the incredibly talented Sophie Jackson who produced this podcast and answered all of my stupid questions and gave me the encouragement to press on with it. Chat soon. Chat soon.